This is episode six of Cinescope, and this week, come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is Ethan Small to talk about one of his favorite films, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Ethan, how are you doing? Good, Chad. Thanks so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here. Yeah, it's great having you on. You know, we've known each other for a while. You're sort of an in real life friend, but we've never really talked all that much. But when I started the podcast and you expressed your support and how much you liked it and you've left a review, which is awesome, and more people could do that, that'd be awesome. You said, you know, I think I wouldn't mind being on the show and Willy Wonka would be one of those movies that I wouldn't mind talking about. And this was actually before Gene Wilder died last week. Yeah, it was crazy. I just, I think literally just two days before the news of his passing, I I had tweeted you and let you know that uh, Willy Wonka would be one of the movies that I'd like to talk about. It is on my top 10 all-time favorite list. So yeah, rest in peace, Gene Wilder, but just happenstance that I had tweeted you about that just a couple of days before. Yeah, and I hated to find out that I was actually the one that broke that news to you because uh, <laughs> it happened. And I was like, well, I, I hate to sort of capitalize on this guy's death, <laughs> but you had mentioned it. So I contacted you and then you said, oh, well, this is the first time hearing about it. So <laughs> sorry about that, yeah, but I'm no glad worries. to have you on the show nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, it's such an honor to be here. Thank you so much. No problem. Do you want to give a quick little introduction to yourself and who you are and stuff like that? Absolutely. So I'm Ethan Small. I'm from Denver, Colorado. And yeah, Chad and I met through a mutual friend uh, several years ago now, and I've been following him on Twitter ever since. We connected over our shared love for Back to the Future. and Of course. <laughs> yeah. So I was hooked on Cinescope from the very beginning <laughs> with your pilot episode. And so, yeah, I, I hope to live up to the... Um, the conversations that you've had in the past here, you've had some amazing guest hosts. And I, in my past, I do have some experience in the entertainment world. I used to write video game reviews that were published in the local newspaper here in the greater Denver area. So, Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, hopefully I can sp bring some of that experience to the table here. Yeah, I'm sure you'll do just fine. Before we do get started on our discussion, a uh, few shout outs to people who did leave new reviews on iTunes. The people from the She's a Boss podcast, Tyrone in Oklahoma, Dead Man Devil Man, and One Cool Coconut. So with those, we're now at 14 total reviews. That is so cool. That's awesome. Please keep them coming in. The more we get, the closer we get to the new and noteworthy page for the TV film category on iTunes. And as soon as we hit that page, hopefully we'll be getting a lot more listeners and maybe even more reviews. So if you haven't left a review yet, please consider taking a few seconds, a few minutes out of your day to do that and really giving the show a boost. Also, we're looking for more audience involvement with the show. So a couple weeks ago, I decided, you know, 
Maybe I should not keep the discussion topic a secret, and I'll just let everybody know. So every Sunday on Twitter from the Cinescope Pod account, I will be tweeting out what we will be talking about on the podcast that week. So earlier this week, I said, hey, we were talking about Willy Wonka. Do you have any thoughts? Now, we haven't gotten a whole lot of feedback, but if you wanted to do that, you can do that, of course, on Twitter at Cinescope Pod, and you could just drop by Find out what we're talking about that week every Sunday and let me know what your thoughts are. And uh, I'd love to have more of that so I can feature more of the people who listen to this show and like to listen. So that being said, let's go ahead and move on to our discussion over Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, this movie was released on June 30th of 1971 and was directed by Mel Stewart, who also directed films called If It's Tuesday, This Must Be Belgium, Running on the Sun, The Badwater 135, and a couple documentaries called Four Days in November and Watt Stacks. So he's not a uh, filmmaker that I'm extraordinarily familiar with, but uh, those are a few of his works. Now, this screenplay was actually written by Roald Dahl, who wrote the book that this was based on, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And of course, there were some rewrites and additional scenes by David Seltzer. So it's always cool to have the author of a book write the screenplay. Yeah, for sure. Music here was by Leslie Bercus. Sorry if I butchered that last name. And uh, he co-composed You Only Live Twice title theme with John Barry and also worked with John Williams on several movie themes. There's Can You Read My Mind, the love theme from Superman. There's When You're Alone from Hook and Somewhere in My Memory from Home Alone and Christmas at Hogwarts from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And then, of course, along with him was Anthony Newley. And together they won the Academy Award for Best Original Score for Wonka and also wrote the songs Feeling Good, Goldfinger, so another James Bond song, and the musical Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, and The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd. Lastly, this movie does star Gene Wilder, the late great Gene Wilder, as Willy Wonka, Jack Albertson as Grandpa Joe, and Peter Ostrom as Charlie, and also stars Roy Kinnear, Julie Don Cole, Leonard Stone, Denise Nickerson, Dodo Denny, Paris Themen, Ursula Wright, Michael Bolner, and Diana Soul. Okay, so what was your first experience with this movie, Ethan? So I don't remember the exact experience, but I know that it was when I was very young, probably like five years old. And I remember that, I think what happened was that my mom rented it on VHS for my sister and I, when, ran over to Blockbuster when that was a thing. And I just remember going into this world and coming out many, many hours later. I remember it feeling like forever, but in a really good way. Like I was enjoying it so much that it just felt like hours and hours had passed. And I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I also remember thinking that it was bizarre and weird and even a bit creepy because I was particularly terrified by the chocolate river scene. Of course. (laughs) Where they go in the (laughs) tunnel and there's the creepy music and all that. But uh, that was really my first experience. Uh, I also remember going to the grocery store like after and going to buy some gobstoppers and being just so disappointed because (laughs) in the film, they're like these, it's like this golf ball sized thing with different colors and like these different things sticking out every which way. And then the actual candy is like this little uninteresting marble sized ball that didn't taste very good. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, to be fair, I think the product is actually just called gobstoppers where in the film it's called 
the everlasting gobstopper. So. Right. They don't want to get into any sort of false advertising suits over that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was my first experience. What about you? Okay. So likewise, I don't really have a specific first memory. I think that's pretty typical of all these movies that are sort of staples of our childhood. And this definitely was a staple of my childhood. We did have it on VHS and it was just something that would pop in every once in a while. I don't remember necessarily watching it all the time, but I remember it always being there and always being something that I enjoyed watching. So this was my actually my first time watching the movie in a long time. Um, it's been a few years at least, maybe catching snippets here and there on TV when it came on. But otherwise, I hadn't actually sat down to watch this movie in a long time. And watching it now, I, I got the same sort of feelings I remember having as a child, where it's just sort of this wondrous world, and it's fun, and it's just enjoyable to be a part of, you know? Absolutely. And for me, my appreciation watching it older is definitely much greater than when I was a kid. I think I probably at that age, and I did watch it several times after that first time, but I think I enjoyed it just more for the aspect of, you know, just simply the idea of a candy factory. And and in addition, Gene Wilder's performance definitely, even at that age, was definitely very captivating. But watching it now, I can appreciate so much more of the themes and deeper messages behind the film that I didn't understand at that age or just wouldn't have caught. Even some of the humor I didn't catch until watching it more recently. So my appreciation has grown over the years for this film. Yeah, it's definitely just as wonderful and sort of magical to me now as it was then. But in some ways, I appreciate things a lot differently. And I think there are things, like you said, like the humor that just stands out a lot differently to me now than it did then. So with that, let's go ahead and talk about the story a little bit. What about the story do you like here? I think in a word, I think you said it perfectly, just magical. This is a magical story that's just captivating. And I, I even watching it now, I, I didn't have that same sense of feeling like I was lost for hours, but I still had this sense of going to another world. And I think World Dahl being the author of the original book and the screenplay, he, you know, he's obviously a genius. and Definitely. And the story, it's very original, it's um, very unique, and the whole concept of the golden tickets. And and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but even at the end, it's not necessarily a plot twist, but when we find out that Wonka's goal is with the tickets is actually to find his predecessor to own and operate the factory, that's such an awesome little detail at the end that is just a really cool piece of the story that I really love and appreciate. Watching this movie this time around, I didn't realize how sort of heartbreaking the first half hour is. Yeah, I I found myself like, oh man, there's this kid and he's watching all these other kids inside getting free candy and singing about candy and he he can't because he's got a paper route to do. And then he's going to use that paper route to get some pocket money. But no, he's not going to use it for pocket money. He's going to use it to help provide for his family. Yeah, And he's like 10 years old and man, it's it's just, it kind of hit me harder than I remembered it hitting me as a kid because this this kid is so used to having nothing and he finally gets this opportunity to maybe have something and he gets hopeful, but at the same time, he's sort of struggling to realize, you know, maybe I'll get it, but it's a lot more likely that I won't. And so there are a couple moments when, like the, the scene right before Cheer Up Charlie, when he visits his mom at the laundromat, mm-hmm. he says, I just thought you'd like to know that somebody else found another ticket. 
And I, I also wanted to let you know that the other tickets aren't going to be found by me. Oh yeah. And it's just this sort of realization that he, you know, he's hopeful, but at the same time, he's just painfully honest with himself because he has lived with such a meager childhood and he hasn't had a lot of these luxuries that a lot of other kids have had. There were kids, uh, at the schoolyard who were, who had opened 150, 200 bars of candy. And here yeah. Charlie's only opened two because one was gifted to him. Well, both of them were gifted to him, you know? Yeah. The teacher even says he calls on Charlie and you know, how many bars have you opened? He says two. And, and the teacher just assumes he he's saying two as in short for 200. And he's like, no, 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 two. <laughs> I literally mean two. And yeah, that scene is so heartbreaking when he goes to to see his mom and he's just like, I probably won't be getting this. But his grandpa, Joe, really does a lot to kind of keep that hope alive for him. And I definitely have more to say about grandpa Joe when we move on to talking about characters a little bit. Uh, what else about the story? I just love the progression throughout the film, the way that they they transition from room to room in the chocolate factory. And you have these segments where you have each of the different kids, you know, getting into trouble, or kind of getting picked off one by one. And then the Impa Loompa song to kind of transition between each of those. I think that works really well. And I was really actually struck by how watching this back it actually takes a while before they actually get into the factory. There's kind of a lot of lead up. And within that, there's a great deal of social commentary that is really funny. There's this scene where it's it's more of like a montage of news clips. But one of, <laughs> one of the scenes is this woman's husband has been taken hostage and through a uh, phone call, they find out the kidnapper wants her box of Wonka bars. And she, she pauses for a moment. And she says, can I think about that? And she's, and the, and the guy's like, the investigator's like, you're talking about your husband's life or the box of chocolate bars. <laughs> in the same way, that scene specifically and a couple others from the montage, like when the guy created the computer that's going to calculate the exact <laughs> location of the remaining <laughs> chocolate bars. I remembered those scenes from when I watched as a kid, but I definitely did not get the the comedy in those scenes as a kid. And so yeah. it was sort of an, a little extra treat now watching it and like, wow, this this computer's being kind of snarky with this guy and <laughs> this this woman's being kind of ridiculous about this hostage situation with her husband. But uh, that sort of leads into the next part of the story that I wanted to mention is it's sort of a, a theme that's across all of Roald Dahl's novels is that adults are kind of idiots. Yeah. They're just, they're not very smart. They there's a reason that all of his main characters are kids. Yeah. Um, and Matilda, you've got this kid who's bullied by her parents and has this devil principal at school. And she finds solace in one specific teacher who, who gives her comfort and, and sort of all this backlash against her manifests itself in powers. And so that's how Matilda works. And then of course, uh, James and the Giant Peach has something similar. He's living with his aunts or whoever they are. Yeah. And uh, in escaping from them, he's thrust into this magical world. And then the BFG, we just saw a Steven Spielberg adaptation of, and it's this orphan who's mistreated at the orphanage and she's stolen away and finds a new friend. And so it's this sort of overarching theme across all of Roald Dahl's books that continues here. And really the only competent adults we have are the ones in Charlie's family and uh, Willy Wonka himself. Everybody else yeah. is sort of being either played by their children or just isn't very smart in general. And just a sort of quick little aside, it seemed like all of the adults here, or at least the, the mother-father pairings, have 
mirrored names. There's Joe and Josephine and Henry and Henrietta <laughs> and George and Georgina. Just a fun yeah. little thing that I hadn't picked up on before either. Yeah, I hadn't caught that until uh, this most recent viewing. So uh, that was pretty funny. Yeah, and I, that theme is definitely very prevalent throughout the film. And I think Willy Wonka himself is really integral to bringing out that theme because he kind of I don't want to say makes a fool of the parents, but just their flaws come out even more strongly as they enter the chocolate factory and are kind of put to the test by these different uh, zany <laughs> contraptions in different areas throughout the factory. So, um, so Wonka himself is really important to, to bringing out that message. For sure. And then the last thing I had in the story section was uh, the story is good. It has a good arc. It's enjoyable to watch. It's easy to follow. But what this movie does really well is sort of just the spectacle of it all. And the wonder and the the sort of visual and the creative treats of it all. It's, it's just sort of like an experience. It's a fun movie to just enjoy. And not in the same sense as if you were watching a Tim Burton movie, hint, hint. <laughs> but uh, not that I have anything in particular wrong with that movie, like a lot of people do. But uh, here, it's just so much more simple. It's a different kind of wonder and it's not because things are zany and shaped oddly and colored weird and it's just the imagination behind it all the imagination that went into everything is really yeah. put to display here and it works really really well yeah i agree i think that it's not just about the visuals just even the ideas behind like when we go into the invention room and we get an insight into the mind of what kind of ideas that Wonka has uh, conjuring up. And it's like these really unique ideas that are really interesting. And Yeah, and, and quirky and plays on words and stuff like too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's the the mixture that's too cold, so he gives it a blanket. <laughs> and then there's something else that needs a little kick, so he throws in a couple of cleats. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> just that, that, that's very, very Roald Dahl humor, which is great. Yeah, I love a good pun. <laughs> Definitely. So let's go ahead and move on to characters. What character would you like to talk about first? I think Gene Wilder. I think we got to talk about his, Willy Wonka and his his portrayal of Willy Wonka. It's just so spectacular and captivating. And he really completely embodies the character and it feels very real. I, I read a piece of trivia while I was watching and I guess he said to the director that he didn't actually want to take the role unless he could do that opening scene where he comes out limping and then performs that somersault because that kind of set the stage of where you don't really know if he's lying or telling the truth. Right. And just the fact that Gene would do that, say like whether or not he took the role just based on that really speaks to his brilliance and his dedication as an actor. And I feel like some of the one-liners and wisdom that comes through Willy Wonka, I think is also part of Gene Wilder himself and coming through too. So it's just a really awesome performance. And, and Willy Wonka is just an awesome, fun character because he embodies this childlike wonder. And, and at the same time, he is an adult and he kind of has this sarcasm and dark sense of humor about him. That's just so fun to watch. It should be noted that 
the original book by Roald Dahl is called Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. And in that book, Charlie is very much the focus. Where here, yes, Charlie is prominently featured and he would be called a main character. But here, Willy Wonka really is the focus. And that's why I think the, the title change is so appropriate. And he's largely the focus because Willy Wonka, as played by Gene Wilder, is so fantastic. I read the book several times as a kid. I, I really loved Roald Dahl in general. So Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was a frequent checkout from the library. And when I look back, it's been a long time since I've read it. But looking back, I don't really remember much of Willy Wonka in that book. I really do remember Charlie. And so it's really a testament to Gene Wilder and what he brings to the table here that uh, the title change is necessary and not to the detriment of any other characters. Everybody else has their moments to shine, but Gene Wilder just shines all the brighter. And he really does perfectly embody the character. And like you said, I think the perfect word is captivating. It's always so engrossing just watching Gene Wilder on stage. And it really makes me want to go back and watch some of his other performances too, because admittedly, I haven't seen all that much Gene Wilder in my movie experience. And so I want to go back and I want to watch Blazing Saddles and I want to watch Young Frankenstein and stuff like that. Yeah, you got to watch Young Frankenstein. It's so good. And I I haven't actually seen Blazing Saddles, so I fully intend to do that within the next coming weeks here. But yeah, it's it's really fantastic. And I just wanted to call out some of his one-liners that stuck out to me. One was, you should never, never doubt what nobody is sure about. Um... A little nonsense now and then is cherished by the wisest men. (laughs) And then my absolute favorite is we are the music makers and we are the dreamer of dreams. Yeah, that one's a really good one. Yeah, I I think that quote right there just embodies kind of the, the main message of the film for me, just about the value of imagination and and even in the song, pure imagination of just if you want to see the beauty around you, around you just open your eyes and see it i I think that's just an awesome outlook and perspective he has this sort of honesty about him both in those one-liners which are often used to sort of counteract the parents who are just awful in this movie at the same time like at the ending especially is the scene i have in mind when he has to sort of put on this act to sort of scare charlie away just to test him and then charlie comes back and he he hands over this everlasting gobstopper and in so doing, wins the test and uh, the the joy and the the honest emotion that I think he's showing there, where he 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 really is so happy that Charlie passed and that he was able to declare a winner. And he says, "I knew you would do it. I knew you would. I knew you would." He always had faith in Charlie from the very beginning, even though Charlie had his moment where he sort of strayed with the fizzy lifting drinks with Grandpa Joe. He always knew that Charlie would be the one to emerge victorious. And that scene in the glass elevator, don't you know what happened to the man who suddenly got what he always wanted? He lived happily ever after. That's, it's just a, a great scene. And it really feels like an honest moment in the, the sense of everything else. Yeah, I think, yeah, that scene in his office uh, when he declares Charlie the winner, that is by far my favorite scene and it's just because of gene wilder and his the honesty of his performance there uh (laughs) he says um you lose good day sir (laughs) right (laughs) i just i just love that and and his passion is just it just comes right off the screen and um yeah on that same area i read another piece of trivia that they roll doll actually didn't 
approve. I don't know if it was like after the fact or, or before, but he didn't originally write about the scene with the fizzy lifting drinks. And I think it really works in the movie though, because if, if they hadn't have done that, had that little mishap where they, him and his grandpa go and drink the fizzy lifting drinks. And if they hadn't have done that, then there wouldn't have been that moment at the end where Charlie could kind of redeem himself by giving over the everlasting gobstopper to prove that he is, you know, this honest, genuine boy that he can, that Willy Wonka can trust with his factory. So, right. And he is a kid, you know, Charlie is a kid. He does get the opportunity to mess up a little bit. Right. And, uh, I I think you're right. I think that scene does work well and it definitely does pay off in that final scene with Willy Wonka and, uh, having Charlie's redemption. So let's talk about Charlie specifically a little bit. So the, this kid, his name's Peter Ostrom. And from what I remember looking up before, I don't think he's done much outside of Willy Wonka. I think he pretty much retired from acting after that yeah. and went on to another career. So we're lucky that he gave us this, you know? Absolutely. He, he really is this honest and kind and sweet and pure intention kid. And it, it plays across so well on the screen. He he puts others before himself and he has this really sort of honest joy about him. When he smiles, it, yeah. it really feels authentic and like he's smiling at the person he's smiling at rather than uh, just putting yeah, on a face. Yeah, it's a great performance. And one of my favorite scenes is definitely, even though we kind of know it's coming uh, when he does get the golden ticket and the moments kind of leading up to that, you know, I think there's some deeper meaning behind it in addition to just the quality of their performance. I I like that there's this aspect of luck and chance to it. But at the same time, if Charlie had not decided to buy that extra chocolate bar, you know, it, it took him making the choice to buy the, the additional chocolate bar for it to happen. So I like that it's not all just chance that he plays a role in his fate there. And even, even in that scene, he buys that extra Wonka bar before he realizes that there's another golden right. ticket flying around. He buys the second chocolate bar specifically for his grandpa, Joe. And so that's just another testament to his character. He's this kid who, who loves his family and he wants to provide for them and he loves his grandpa, Joe. So heck, he found some extra money. He's going to buy his grandpa, Joe, an extra candy bar. And, uh, he's rewarded for that, which I think is a really great lesson for kids that, you know, sometimes if you're honest and you're caring and you're giving to others, hey, that'll pay back. You'll get a good feeling. And sometimes you might get more than just a good feeling. Right. It's a great scene for that reason. Right. Absolutely. And um, I think that Charlie probably gains a lot of the quality of his character, I think, comes much from his his family, especially Grandpa Joe, who is just he loves Charlie just so much and he wants to see him be happy so much. And that's one of the reasons why I love that character so much is it really feels like he truly cares for Charlie more than anything in the world. And it's just, I love just the relationship between those two. You mentioned the, I've got a golden ticket scene being one of your favorites. And I think that's one of my two favorite songs in this movie is I've got a golden ticket. And so Charlie's just come home. He's got the golden ticket. He's waving it in his hands. Nobody believes him at first because, of course, they've all seen the news report that said that the fifth ticket had already been found. So they're they're so happy and joyful for him whenever it's revealed, yes, this is a real golden ticket and I really found it because the other one wasn't fake. And then when Charlie says, you know, Grandpa, I, I wish you could go. 
because he's been in bed for 20 <laughs> years. Of course, he's not going to go. But then he, he decides, you know, I'm going to do this. And he has this moment of determination where he swings his legs out of bed and he fails a couple of times, but he eventually gets up. And then of course he has his rousing dance <laughs> number and uh, it's just a fun song and watching grandpa Joe sing and have fun dancing around with his grandson that having this moment that they've never really been able to have with each other. Uh, it's a really heartwarming scene. And one of my, like I said, two favorite songs in the movie. Yeah. I, I have that as one of my favorite song uh, after pure imagination. And it's it's so funny just just even the concept of these grandparents all all four of them in the same bed together <laughs> yeah for 20 years <laughs> like what 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 would have happened that would have led to that situation I don't but know. <laughs> because it's rolled doll and he's so good at building this world and having quirky characters you don't really question it <laughs> right. it's just oh okay they've been in bed for 20 years that's fine yeah and that makes the the payoff when he does stand up and dances around all the much better. Yeah, I love how the dance it kind of evolves where it it's kind of him like trying to keep his balance and then it, he kind of gradually gains his strength just over the course of the dance number. Yeah, it almost seems like a callback to Wizard of Oz oh, yeah. and the if I only had a brain with the scarecrow sort of figuring out how to walk around again. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that literally just occurred to me. So <laughs> I, I I'd like to think that that's an intentional sort of callback. Yeah, if it wasn't, oh my gosh, that's yeah, that's a great link there. I like that. So the only other characters I really wanted to talk about, I just wanted to mention the kids because the kids are so perfect at being sort of despicable in this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's they're just awful bratty children, and they're so good at doing what they do. From Veruca to Augustus to Mike to Violet, it's they all have something about them that I, I don't know. They're they're I don't want to say hate because I don't hate them, but it's like, wow, you are just a naughty child. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, they play that off very, very well without being over the top. I think they make, they do a good job of being characters that real life kids can sort of relate to and be like, Hey, I like to watch TV all the time. And then over the course of the film realize, Oh, maybe that's not the best thing. Um, so, I mean, we'll talk about themes and relevance a little bit more later, but I, I do think that those characters serve a great purpose for being relatable because they're not too over the top, but at the same time, they're just really good at being naughty and bratty. Yeah, I, I, when watching this movie yesterday, I was thinking that maybe each of the kids represented a different like quality, and so I was kind of looking for that as I was watching, and I found that. In each of the Oompa Loompa songs, they they reference kind of a different, I guess, lesson in each of one in each of them. And the first one was "Don't be greedy," so I guess referring to Augustus Gloop and his greediness when it comes to food, <laughs> just stuffing his face. Right, greediness and gluttony, of course. Right. And then the second one was "Have good manners," and that was, I guess, applying to Violet, who. You see her in one scene, like picking her nose and, you know, she's the gum chewer. So she's always kind of like smacking her lips. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's kind of how that, the good manners related to that. And then the third song, Don't Be Spoiled, um, which was for, I guess, uh, Veruca. My, Veruca, right. And, and then funny enough, the fourth song was also Don't Be Spoiled, which I think I think they just repeated that one since it applies to all of them. They're just so spoiled and bratty. And it's just like, oh, you're so 
<laughs> right. Well, and of course, the the dangers of TV, excessive TV, yeah. because TV hadn't been around for a whole whole long time at this point. This was 1971, so it was still a relatively new possession in the household. And even back then, they were sort of realizing, you know, maybe it's not the best thing to be sitting in front of it the whole time. Yeah, they. I think even in the song, the Oompa Loompa song, there they say something about reading a book, <laughs> and, right? Yeah, turning off the TV. So. Which, of course, is a funny nod to Roald Dahl. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> it works out. So let's go ahead and talk on about the music a little bit. So we've already alluded to what one of our favorite songs of is, which of course is "I've Got the Golden Ticket," and there are a couple moments in the film where there's this scored version of the song specifically right after charlie gets the ticket and he's running home and we get this lovely instrumental version of i've got a golden ticket before we really know what the song is mm -hmm. um, and it's just it's perfectly joyful we're celebrating with him as he's running through town on his way home and we're excited for him and the music just does a great job of embodying that and the other sort of score moments that i have mentioned are of the opening overture over the chocolates which of course, I still remembered from my childhood was that that opening scene where we're in the chocolate factory and we're watching all of this get made and we're treated to this overture of the songs that's coming later. And uh, that's it's just a great opening to the movie. Uh, we've said it before on the show, but I wish more movies had sort of opening overtures and these moments of stillness with music. This this is a really great example of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do miss the days of uh, getting to you know, see those credits at the beginning. And, but unfortunately those days are long gone. Yeah. We get bored too easily nowadays, I guess. Yeah. Anyways, the only other score moment I had was the final moments of the movie with a glass elevator and they're flying around the city. The happiest man in the world lived happily ever after all that good stuff. And then we get some moments of just music, this instrumental music. And then of course we get a chorus reiteration of pure imagination and it's just a, a great moment in the movie yeah i i noticed that they actually take um kind of the chimes and the twinkling that you hear in pure imagination and it's actually in one of the opening songs i'm not sure if it's the the main theme but we hear it at the beginning and then we hear it at the middle and then we hear it again at the end and i thought that was a not really nice touch to have that kind of weaved throughout yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. The sort of bum, 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 yes. bum, bum. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I love that. Uh, even just that that tone does help enhance the film because it. I feel like it gives kind of a, off of like a mysterious vibe and kind of a, but at the same time, a, a cheerful one. And I feel like that it does a great job of speaking to the whole to the whole film itself. Yeah, so do you have any other favorite score moments or songs? Um, I thought that the Candyman can was just a great one to have at the at the very beginning there when all the kids are running to the candy shop and um, you've got the 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 man behind the counter singing and that that was a, just a great way to open the film and then I can't go without mentioning the Oompa Loompa songs right <laughs> they're just <laughs> they're just so um, I feel like I would sing those songs the Oompa Loompa song for years and years after I first <laughs> saw this movie. I feel like it's, it's so, uh, people reference it and it's just something that, um, is so memorable. So, yeah, I think more than any other song or music in this movie, the Oompa Loompa song is something that 
pretty much everybody knows. If you right. went up to somebody and you said, sing the Oompa Loompa song, everybody would know at least Oompa Loompa Doompa Dee Doo. <laughs> and uh, it's just a sort of catchy little earworm and they have good lessons within them. Yeah. And then, of course, we've already talked about this, but pure imagination is just like the perfect showcase of Gene Wilder in this movie. It's a sweet song. It's just as magical as anything else in this movie. And this is, of course, the scene where we first get to witness the wonders of the factory. Mm -hmm. And it's just a great moment in the movie where everything sort of slows down for a second. We're not quickly moving through this or moving through that. And it's just a moment to relax enjoy yourselves. And if you want to view paradise, look around and view it. It's, it's just a, a very good song. Yeah. Another line, uh, another few lines from the song, anything you want to do, do it. Want to change the world. There's nothing to it. It encapsulates this simplicity of this, this message of just life doesn't have to take so much effort. Um, you can be happy without so much effort. And, and part of that is through imagination. And, being able to see yourself living happily and by simply being there, you can be free if you wish to be. It's a great song. And we can use actually that song as a jumping off point into the relevance of this movie. Like what, what do we take away? And I think the very first thing is everything that song is communicating. It's, it's about childhood wonder and fun and creativity and pure imagination. You know, it's just about enjoying life, looking for the creativity in life, being creative, giving yourself those opportunities and not taking it 100% seriously all the time. Yeah. Um, I think the, the more explicit message is for parents is like, be a good parent. Don't, don't spoil your, your kid. But deeper within that is this message of retain your, your sense of wonder about the world and be curious and, you know, allow yourself to see beyond the normal and, I feel like this movie communicates that so well. And yeah, that song is just, it, it is the embodiment of that. The movie is also about just sort of honesty and pure intentions and being Charlie rather than being Violet or Veruca or Augustus or Mike. Like I said, I think those characters are so relatable for kids because they need to be relatable. They represent sort of the worst of children. Yeah. And so if you can walk away being more of a Charlie than any of those others, then as a kid, you're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie is the one to aspire to. <laughs> I also appreciate just kind of the nod to, and I don't know how intentional this was, but what I took from it was how no matter how much money you have that you can still be happy. I mean, if you look at how happy Charlie seems versus, you know, obviously he's really disappointed and wishes that he had more, but he's still very happy and he loves his family so much. When Whereas you look at someone like Veruca, who's just always screaming, I want it now. And she's always, always cranky, <laughs> even though she has everything by way of her, her parents giving her everything. I think they do a, a good job of communicating that. Yeah, it's about finding comfort in the people around you rather than the things around you. For sure. Yeah, I think you could even say that there's even kind of a critique of consumerism here and just, you know, constantly consuming candy or TV or what have you. And that by going back to a more simple way of being that there's much happiness to be found there. So any final thoughts about the movie as a whole? Um, that's, that's about it. I just would say 
rest in peace, Gene Wilder. You were an incredible actor, and we appreciate your work in in this movie and and beyond. Definitely, rest in peace to Gene Wilder, and thank you to everybody who made this movie because it's well intentioned, and it's just as magical and influential and emotional, and sometimes even more so to me than it was as a kid. So. I loved watching this movie again, and I'm glad to to revisit it with you. Yeah, thanks again so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk about it with you. Yeah, so that wraps up our discussion in the official sixth episode of Cinescope. Remember, you can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast or again at Pod on Twitter. Please rate and review on iTunes and just help us to get that boost into our listenership and hopefully grow our audience even more. Also, you can email feedback and ideas to the Cinescope podcast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in co-hosting like Ethan, Ethan told me he would love to be on the show and would love to talk about this movie. So if there's a movie that you would love to talk about, then let me know and I will definitely fit you in when I can. And uh, we'll have a good time about it. So Ethan, where can people find you online? You can find me at on Twitter at Ethan, E-T-H-A-N underscore small, S-M-A-L-L. Uh, you can also follow me on my website. I have a personal development blog, which is friendlywarrior.com. And on Facebook, Ethan.small.tc. Excellent. The best place to find me on Twitter is at Chadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. And on facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. Remember, all of the show notes, all the contact information we just mentioned can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you again, Ethan. It's been awesome having you on the show. Thank you so much, Chad. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Episode 6. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope. And we'll be back next week with Episode 7. Have fun and celebrate movies. (laughs) 